Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning. Wrong one? Oh, right one. Okay. Uh, my name is Dylan. Our scripture comes from Matthew 12, verses 22 through 37. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and able, unable to speak was brought to him. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see. All the crowds were astounded and said, Could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him, but he whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will be not forgiven, not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the one to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. In case we haven't met, my name's Tom. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're not already there, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to continue in our walk through Matthew. Today's passage, as we've just read, is really a pinnacle in the opposition that the Pharisees have had to Jesus to this point. Uh, You remember a couple weeks ago, Parker was talking about Jesus was walking through the grain fields and they were picking the grain and eating it on the Sabbath. And that was annoying to the Pharisees and they called him out and they were trying to trip him up. And then he went into the synagogue and he was healing this guy and they were really angry about that and after that they they were wanting to kill him and now we come to this passage and this is really what I call a crescendo of this conflict between the two and it's easy to see the Pharisees as a caricature of evil or of something else and not to see them as human beings that God created in his image So one of the things that we want to do is we look at this particular um, conversation or this particular conflict today is to look at the Pharisees as real people like you and me. 
and try to get a more full context of what is going on here. And I think that's critical to really understanding some of the stuff that we just read that looks really hard to understand. You know, we look at the Pharisees and we judge them, we assess them. We do that every day in our life, don't we? We meet new people all the time. And when we meet new people, we, we observe them and we see the way they speak. Are they quiet and soft-spoken? Are they loud and boisterous? Do they annoy you? Do they have weird mannerisms? Are they really impressive in the way that they speak? And, and we kind of assess the kind of person that they they are just based on the way that they present themselves. But what we don't know is why they are the way they are. We don't know any of the background, any of the backstory, any of the things that have led them to this point. I wanted to tell you a little bit about my dad this morning. Some of you know that my dad is in the final stages of Alzheimer's and he doesn't know who I am anymore. And I've taken for granted largely who he is and haven't been all that curious about it my whole life, but now that we've, in all intents, we've lost him, I have had the opportunity to go back and look at his past. And what I've learned is his past has really helped me to understand why he was the way he was, why he is the way he is. You know, my dad, if you met him, prior to his sickness, you would have seen a guy who was quiet. If you talked to him, you would know that he is a militant non-drinker. He never missed work. He loved his family without question. He's a very patriotic man, fiercely loyal. But he was also a man with no hobbies except to help others and to spend time with his family. That was just my dad. That was who he is. He didn't really spend a lot of time wondering why. But then I look back at his past and I realized that he was the oldest of six kids. His father was a raging alcoholic who abandoned the family when my dad was just a young boy. They were helped greatly by their extended family. And my dad being the oldest of the kids had to help with all the chores and help uh, take care of the other kids. His youngest sibling, his stepbrother Terry, was killed in action in Vietnam in 1967 when my dad was 27. And my dad was very close with his mom and she died unexpectedly at the age of 49 when he was only 30. So I started putting all these pieces together and all of a sudden it made sense to me why he was so against alcohol. Not that it was a sin to drink alcohol because you know it's not, but he had seen the ravages not only in his dad but in the other aspects of his family and the dangers of, of that. Why family was so important to him. Why he was so patriotic because not only his, his brother had died but also he was influenced by a generation of World War II veterans. All of the people that he respected growing up had served in World War II, and that was a, a defining you know, influence on him. And so as I went through all this, I, I started to understand the influences that shaped him into the man that he was. 
the leadership team at AGC has just finished a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. It's a really, really good book. And one of the chapters in that book uh, is Face Your Shadow. Your shadow is basically those, those influences of your uh, formative years, primarily your family of origin and those, to go back and look at those to help understand why maybe you have some of the propensities or struggles or whatever that you deal with in your life today. I think it would be really helpful for us to understand that about the Pharisees. Instead of just looking at the way that they're arguing with Jesus, to remember who they are, what they've been through, and why possibly they may be acting the way they are. Now, I would venture to say that most people in churches today, if you brought up the word Pharisee, would have, if they read their Bible much at all, they, they would have a, an idea of what they think about them. Do you think it's positive or negative? Well, based on what Jesus said in this passage, it's probably not very positive, right? And that's right, but why are they the way that they are? What is their shadow that's formed them? Well, they are tasked with leading the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, in godliness. Let's think about the nation of Israel and their history. Their history of being enslaved in Egypt, right? And they beg and beg and beg to be freed. And what did God do? He said, I'm going to free you. And he did that in a miraculous way. So then they find themselves out in the, the wilderness. And you would think that they would be thrilled to be free from Egypt. But what did they do? They whined and complained and sinned. And still God was faithful and he delivered them to the promised land. Even though Moses couldn't go because of his sin, they were delivered over to the promised land and they got to build the temple. The amazing temple and they got to be gathered together as God's people. You would think surely at that point, nothing could separate them from devotion and gratitude to God, right? Finally, they are home. And yet we know from our study that that wasn't the end. That they no more than got settled and they started turning away from God and started sinning. And because of that, they were taken into captivity and that stunning temple was destroyed. And then they had to live in captivity. And they begged and begged and begged, uh, Lord, bring us back from exile. Bring us back home. This time... This time we will be good. This time we will do it right. We've learned our lesson. They were brought back, regathered, built another temple. And if you remember our time in Ezra and Nehemiah, at the end of Nehemiah, they were already going out and marrying the foreigner, doing all these things. They were already turning away from God. And the, and the Old Testament just ended with a thud, Right? That brings us now to where the Pharisees are. The Pharisees are still there. The Pharisees don't realize that there was this intertestament period of 400 years and that now they're in the New Testament and now everything's gonna be okay because Jesus is here. They're still living back there thinking these people are gonna mess up and they're gonna walk away from God 
and God's going to judge us, and it's going to be horrible, and we can't let that happen on our watch. So what they did was they created a structure that would try to prevent the people from sinning against God. And their whole focus was don't let the people sin against God. The focus wasn't on let's worship God, let's stand in awe of who he is. Let's, it was let's keep the people from sinning. If you know somebody who has a toddler and you go over to their house, likely you're going to see gates in different places. And the gates are to keep the kids away from sharp things, hot things, fragile things, expensive things, and stairs, right? So they don't hurt themselves. And if everything. And if, if you're not really confident in your gates, what do you do? You put barriers in front of the gate so they can't get to the gate so that they might fall down and you get the, that's what the Pharisees are doing with God's people. Let's create a safe space for them to be. And they had become these taskmasters and focused on keeping the people from sinning. They were operating out of fear. Fear that the people would fall into sin and that God would judge them. They were terrified of that. They had seen the death. They had seen the destruction. They had seen the captivity and the slavery. And they were afraid that the people were going to fall into that again. Now, when you read the verses that talk about the Pharisees, you say, well, yeah, I get that, but they're also really awful people. And what happens is when you get your eyes off of God, that metastasizes into other areas of life. And these Pharisees had really become not very nice people. And, and the sin that was allowed in their life had really affected them in terrible ways. And so I don't want to oversimplify the complexity of these people. But at the core, at the root, fear, I think, was the driving motivation that caused all of this to get off track. So now we come into Matthew, and specifically into chapter 12. And like I said, they, they were, from the beginning of his ministry, I would think even at his birth, curious, what is all this hubbub about, all of this about this new Messiah and all this stuff? And then as he started his earthly ministry, keeping their eyes on him to see, what's he going to do? What is he doing? What is he saying? We want to know what's going on. And they watched him from afar, and then they watched him more close up and then they started asking him questions and following him around and now we get here and he's going through the grain fields and they're trying to trip him up and he goes right into the synagogue and here's this guy with a shriveled hand and he knows what they're thinking and he goes they they ask is it right to heal on heal on the on the sabbath and he says is it right to do right to do good on the Sabbath. And he knew in their hearts that they were just right on the edge and he healed that guy right there. And that sent them over the edge. And from that point, they weren't just looking to trip him up. They weren't just looking to confuse him or discredit him. They were looking to kill him at that point. This had continued to escalate. And now we get to verse 22 
and we have a confrontation that I've broken down into five different stages this morning. As we look at chapter 22 verses, uh, chapter 12 verses 22 through 37, we're going to see an, an acknowledgement, an accusation, an answer, the authority, and the assessment. All A's. What would you expect from a guy of my age? So we're, we're going to alliterate. The first stage in this confrontation is the acknowledgement. This is really the part that caused them to lose their mind because they had already determined they wanted to kill him. But then this demon-possessed man in verse 22, it says the demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see and all the crowds were astounded and said, could this be the son of David? This is a stronger word for astounded than what the people had been uh, described as being up to this point. There was a new amazement of what they had seen, and there was also a connecting of the dots, that this guy is doing some amazing things, but also he might be the son of David. They're connecting what he's doing with who he is. And they're starting to understand that. And it's that understanding he could be the son of David that caused the Pharisees to lose their mind. They were so afraid that the people that they were responsible for leading were following a false prophet and didn't stop to look at the evidence they didn't stop to look at the proof that he actually was who he said he was. They were so worried that they couldn't objectively stand back and look at what's going on and say, that is amazing. Maybe this guy really is who he says he is. They are so afraid that all they could think of is we have to destroy this guy. They were paralyzed by fear. So the acknowledgement of the people that this could be the Son of God set this thing in motion. And the next thing is the accusation. And we see that in verse 24. It says, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. In essence, what they said was, you're the devil. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in debate or if you like talking, you know, politics or just, just having interactive discussions for, with people that see things differently than you do. But one thing's for sure, when you're in one of those discussions and you're doing point and counterpoint back and forth, you know you've won when they resort to calling you names. They're out of arguments, right? So you're dumb. That's what they're saying here. They've got nothing. And they're saying, you're the devil. That's the accusation. You are the devil. That's, that's interesting. Think about it from their perspective. They have some guys that are going around doing exorcisms on their behalf. And Jesus 
is just better at it than they are. You know, they have to go through a whole rigmarole. They have to find the right guy. He has to go through purification. He has to prepare himself. They have to get together a quorum of people to be able to witness this thing. And then it's this long thing of, of interviewing with the demon to try to drive the, it's just a big, huge thing. And most of the time it fails. What does Jesus do? He has authority. He doesn't have to beg. He doesn't have to cajole. He doesn't have to do anything but speak. And it happens. You know, I know I've read this before, but in Acts chapter 19, and, and this happened after Jesus, but it gives you an idea of what they were trying to do. In Acts 19, 13, it talks about this. It says, now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, uh, were doing this. The evil spirit answered, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. These guys were trying to do it even after Jesus was gone in his name, but they didn't have the power of Jesus to do it. And they were frustrated. And they were threatened by what Jesus was able to do, and they were powerless against Jesus. So the accusation that they leveled was, you're the devil. So then the answer that Jesus gave, this is the third thing, the answer that Jesus gave is priceless. And that starts in verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against its, itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. As Satan drives out Satan, he is driven, he is divided against himself. How then will the kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive him out? The first thing he says is, that doesn't make any sense. Just on the face of it, what you said is nonsense. If Satan is going to drive himself out, then Satan is destroying his kingdom. I'm trying to follow your logic here. There is no logic here. What you're saying makes no sense on the face of it. And oh, by the way, you guys are doing the same thing. By what power are you doing it? They didn't have an answer for that, by the way. It's interesting that Jesus goes on to say in verse 27, it says, for this reason they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man and then he can plunder the house? Jesus is saying, you know you guys are doing it. You think you're doing it by the power of God. That's who I'm doing it by because to say that I'm Satan and I'm doing it again, none of that makes any sense. So if I'm doing it by the power of God, then guess what? The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is upon you. You have to understand that. 
He says, I have the power. The reason that I'm able to do these things is I have the power to bind Satan and do whatever I want. Because I am God. That leads us to the fourth stage, and that is the authority. And this is where Jesus really asserts it. He says in verse 30, Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, people will be forgiven in every sin and blasphemy, but the, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the one that is to come. That's a scary verse, right? That's the verse that everybody's read at some point and thought, have I done that? Is there something that I could say or do that would cause me to never be able to be forgiven ever? Well, the good news is Jesus says right here, he says, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Every sin. There isn't anything that you have done that you can't be forgiven for. You need to hear that this morning. There isn't any sin that you have committed in your life, no matter how terrible, that you can't be forgiven for. That's an amazing thing. And he goes on to say, even if you say something against the Son of Man. Now, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And when he uses the the term son of man, immediately they're thinking back to Daniel 7 and Daniel's vision. And the son of man is the one that's establishing the kingdom that will never be destroyed. He's the one that's destroyed all of the others. This is the eternal great God. And he's saying, you can even say something against the son of man and that can be forgiven. But there is a sin that can't be forgiven. And that is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is that? Because I never want to do that. It is the rejection of the revealed truth of God. The power the Spirit has been shown through the miracles, the healings, the driving out of demons. It is clear to the people and they are seeing it. The Pharisees have to let go of their fear and accept the truth. God has, in miraculous ways, through the power of the Holy Spirit, revealed himself, revealed the truth of who he is to them so that they can understand it. And all they need to do is to reject it. But if they reject God's revealed truth, they will not be forgiven. As long as you have that in your heart. You say, is it a one and done? If I hear the gospel and I understand what you're saying and I say that's not for me and then I go down my life and I start to understand life better and I start to understand God's word better, did, did I blow my one chance? No. As long as you're drawing breath, you have the opportunity to accept the forgiveness of God. What he's saying here is all of these sins 
are under the, under the blood of Christ. All of these things can be forgiven to those who come to God in faith. Let's say you walk out of here and you don't make it home. And you said something wrong to somebody in this room this morning. You sinned against them. And then you walked out and you died. That sin will be forgiven. But if you reject the revealed truth of God and you say, I don't want it, I don't need you, God, I've got this on my own and I am good. And you reject the revealed truth of God and you die. That sin will not be forgiven. That is a sobering thing. And it's, it's more stark when you understand who he's talking to. We often think, at least I have in the past, that Jesus must have hated these Pharisees. They were annoying. They were wrong. They were just annoying. And he called them names, didn't he? Brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs. He called them names. But, you know, he called them names out of his righteousness. We call people names out of our sin. He called them names out of his righteousness because he had a purpose in hand. He was trying to shock them. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, you guys are at a decision point. The Spirit of God has revealed to you the truth that the kingdom of heaven is here. And you have a decision to make. So, we've looked at the acknowledgement, the accusation, the answer, the authority, and then we're going to finish up with the assessment. The assessment is in verses 33 through 37. It says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, there's another one of those names. How can you speak good things when you're evil? For the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from the storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from the storeroom of evil. I tell you that on that day of judgment, people have to give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, by your words you will be condemned. What he's saying to the Pharisees is you have been over concerned with doing and not being. You're trying not to sin and trying to keep people from sinning, but you're not being in God. You are not a good tree. Imagine how they heard that. These are the ones that know more of the scriptures than anybody. They can quote any verse that you want. They can tell you any account from any book. They can tell you everything that you need to know. Plus, they can tell you all of the ritualistic things that need to happen. They know it all. They're the ones that stand in judgment of everything. And now Jesus is saying, you're a bad tree. You're an evil tree. Can you imagine how shocking that must be? Let that sink in. Because what we don't want to do this morning is to just assume that I'm not a Pharisee. Just assume that I'm not one of those that's more worried about doing and looking good 
than I am concerned about being in Christ. What is this good fruit that these trees bear? Well, in Galatians 5, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. What it's saying is if, if these are present in your heart and in your life, there is no need for law. There is no need for all of those rules because if the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life, there's no need for that. And what I don't want is for us to look at that, okay, this is the list of the fruit. Okay, I'm good with joy. I'm pretty good with peace, patience, kindness. Ah, I'm lacking with kindness. I'm going to go buy some books on kindness, and I'm going to really work on my kindness, and I'm going to get better at kindness, and I'm going to, that's works righteousness. I'm going to fix. No, you're not going to fix. What we need to do is to pray and to repent from our sins and ask God to give us his heart, to learn from him through his word, through prayer. You know, it sounds like Jesus is condemning the Pharisees here, and he is, but not just to make them feel bad, but to truly help them to understand In the beginning, we talked about how we view others based on their behavior, and now what I want to do is turn that back around and say, as you take an assessment of yourself, how do you assess your fruit? A couple of questions. What good fruit would you say is abundant in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As you look at those, which ones would you say, wow, I really can see that in my life in abundance. If that is the case, then I would just say, praise God for his spirit in you. If you look at that list and you see some fruit that shouldn't be in your life, then the prayer is, please, God, fill me with your spirit so that I can more completely love what you love and hate what you hate. What I'm asking for is the expulsive power of your presence in my life that would drive out any kind of evil and sin, that I would truly live in the Spirit. And for our last verse of the day, Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 18 says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. May we live in the Spirit. May, may we see that we can't live by rules, that we can't 
do the righteousness thing on our own, but that we must be submitted to him and let his fruit flow through us. Let's pray. Lord, this is a frightening passage for those who don't know you, the thought of being in a position where we would not be forgiven. But Lord, for you to say that there isn't a sin that we can't be forgiven of if we come to you, that we can, through confusion, distortion, distraction, weakness, we can, we can do all kinds of wicked things and yet you still are willing to forgive even if we say something against you. So this morning in this room, Lord, I pray that your spirit would either confirm for us that we are your children or that you would do a work in revealing if we're resting in works righteousness like the Pharisees. Help us to confess our sins. Help us to lay that down. Help us to respond to your revealed truth as God and Savior. Lord, I just am so thankful for your goodness, your grace, your mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.